Welcome to Driving the Narrative, Women in Architecture, a podcast by SB Architects. I'm your host, Jeanette Hoffman. Throughout this series, I'll be delving deeper into what it means to be a woman in architecture. Today's guest, our very first guest, is Angela Brady OBE, Director of Brady Malieu Architects. As a previous RIBA president, voted the most effective president in the past 20 years, founding member of Architects for Change, and previous chair of Women in Architecture, Angela has been an unshakable advocate of equity, diversity, and inclusion for over four decades. Angela, I'm so excited you could join us. Thank you for inviting me. You're welcome. So we did chat the other day, and so I've gotten to know you a little bit, which is really nice. Um, But I would just like to kind of talk about what brought you to architecture? What drew you in? I know you love art, and we were talking about having interest outside of architecture, but what's kept you in the industry? What brought you here, and how did you start out? Well, interestingly, it wasn't on the curriculum at school, um, and, you know, you have all the different things, and I thought, hmm, architecture sounds good, but they didn't have brain surgeons or other things as well, and they had safe jobs like teaching, or the word, there were some doctors, I do believe, but um, at school, um, they said, put down your three um, favorite um, potential careers. One of them I put was architecture. One was a brain surgeon. That was kind of like a joke. And then the other was something like a nurse, okay? Because my mom was an artist and my dad was an orthopedic surgeon. So there was a kind of, there was kind of the artist side and the medical side. Both sides the of the brain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I really didn't know. Um, so um, I said, well, I said, um, I'd like to maybe do architecture. I said, oh, no, 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 no. That's a man's job. You could do interior design. And I said, no. I said, my sister's an interior designer. I don't want to do the same thing as she does. And that made me more determined to actually say, well, I'm going to apply for architecture myself anyway. So, you know, think what you like. I'm doing what I think I want to do. So, yeah, so I applied uh, to uh, Bolton Street, um, DIT as it was called then, and um, I had to bring in a big portfolio of, of stuff. So I'd done lots of art and uh, brought that in. Um, and it's also about your personality. Are you suited to it? You had to sit a, uh, what do they call it, um, a suitability test, which is all to do with 3D spatial reasoning and stuff. And then if you pass all those, you get to the interview. Luckily, I got in. How many people were accepted in your first year program? Because I know mine was around 100. We ended up graduating with like 30. Um, from first, it's a five-year course, um, the one I did. And um, the, uh, the first year had a cohort of 50. Now, they say that um, only 10% get through in the five years because um, people repeat or take a year out or go, go away and study or whatever. Um, but of women, there were only 10% women. Wow. So um, with very few women in the other school of architecture in Dublin, they had purely on the results of your exams, regardless of your gender. And that was about 35% women. So quite a difference when they don't know who's applying. Did you have any women professors? Um, We had one for the history of architecture and social studies, and we had one for chemistry in second year. Um, But the rest were mainly men. Um, we'd won very good uh, landscape at one stage, yeah. So maybe about thirty percent of our tutors would have been women. That's it's pretty incredible. When you left after five years, did you feel like there were more women entering, or did you feel like it was still a bit the same? It took um, well, actually, it took me six years because I had to repeat my second year. 
Um, and I will tell you a little story there, if you sure. like. Um, that um, yeah, we, we did feel they were trying to weed the women out. And I had presumed I'd passed. I was going to go straight through. Went into the interview and they said, sorry, Angela, um, we're going to have to hold you back a year. Um, would you repeat? And I said, what? I said, but I've passed all my things. He said, well, you didn't pass all of your technology project. And I said, um, oh, but I said, anyway, um, I said, I would repeat. And they said, Angela, if you were a man, you'd have passed. The women have got to work harder than the men. So you can imagine how devastating that was. But interestingly, my mother had told me that the night before when I said, the, you know, the lecturers are looking at me, they're not as friendly as they were, and they, were, they had already decided who they were going to try and knock out. And that was a thing at the time. You know, there was a lot of straight-out sexism. You wouldn't get that today. No, it's incredible. I mean, I hear stories about how there were 10% of women in architecture, even less. And then when I entered school, it was about 50-50. But I would say that still the women graduating were probably not as high. You know, I think I graduated with a much lower number of women that ended up um, going throughout school the full term. And I wonder if it was those same sort of conversations. I mean, I know that I had conversations with professors that made me feel uncomfortable, that I wasn't good enough for it. Um, But I wonder, and I think that a lot of that affected how many girls ended up graduating, how friendly it is just to women in general to be in our profession, even in school. You know, school kind of is a little bit of a taste of what the environment of our industry is. And so it's interesting that already at school, you're getting that message, right? Why not just let everyone go into the career and then find out in the real world if it's going to be, you know, something that people are going to hold them again, hold against them to be a female, but already it starts showing itself a little bit in school, yeah. which I find very but interesting. But to be fair, the majority of the tutors were actually very good and decent yeah. people, and they were a lot of fun. Yeah. It was just a few of the old boys that were just set in the, in the 1930s, probably, their mindset, and they just, they just thought women were just wasting, wasting a place with where a man should be. But, um, um, so nowadays it's 35 it's 50 50 in most schools mm-hmm. and it's about 35 percent um in practice so that's a huge jump from where it was in my day um, and it's great to see that because yes. i my motto has always been that women and men together make the best architecture and I that's agree. because we're both coming at it from from different sides of society of, of experience of whether it be motherhood or teaching or whatever it is I think that um, together we make the best. It's not women are better or men are better. It's together. But we need to be in the room. We need to have the voice. As the chair of Women in Architecture for five years, what do you think are the biggest barriers facing women in our industry? Yeah, they've changed slightly now, thank goodness. But um, childcare was one of the biggest um, uh, barriers in a way because it held you back. And also the cost of childcare. There was very little um, support there for people in need of support. And a lot of the men didn't take on the duties because it wasn't manly enough. I was very lucky in my instance, when, you know, for my two kids that are now 25 and 30 years of age. But um, the average age, interestingly, for women in architecture was 34 years of age. And that's quite late when you go across all of the industries. But it's because people want to get their foot into the career ladder or onto the career ladder and they want to actually get some experience under the belt and then have kids and maybe it's more affordable um, and also it's just they can fit it in better and also a lot of a lot of practices we find um, in London and in Dublin and other places and um, husband wife teams 
like mm -hmm. my husband my husband is my partner robin melanieu and and you can you can work much closer together when you're sharing stuff and you're helping with the kids and that and it's almost like it's just part of the the life of being a young architect practice because we started off when we were in our late 20 you know late 20s 29 and 28 our own practice and that was a great great then because we could do it yeah, uh, we have a lot of couples at our office, too, and I feel like some people see it from the outside and are like, how do you both come home and talk about the same thing, you know? But I also think that they support each other so much. Like, it's probably the best example of um, a professional relationship and just relationships in general when I see them in the office. All of them sort of share the feedback and then go home, like you said, and share the responsibilities, too. So I find that very interesting. Um, that would be one barrier. Another barrier that still isn't completely resolved is unequal pay. Now, mm. unequal pay is against the law. You know, um, equal pay is not across the board. Um, and I think it's shocking that some practices still pay their men for the same job more. I, I personally wouldn't work for any of those people. And I would say to anybody, check out your pay, your pay of your mates. Are you doing the same job? Ask. Women don't ask enough for a pay rise, men have no problem with asking if they feel they deserve it. Um, but women are sometimes shy about asking, so forget that. Go and ask, and you will find if they value you, you will get a pay rise or an equal pay rise, whatever it is, and then you will feel more valued. So don't be afraid to ask. It's a very good point. I know that I remember reading a statistic a couple of years ago, and I think it was a study out of the UK, actually, that said that 85% um, of women leave our profession after having kids. And I just, as a, as a mom, as a woman, I would love to know, and as a female that is looking to start a family myself, um, how did you stay in your profession? What did you feel like were some of the biggest hurdles? And what kept you going? What do you feel like are still some of the struggles that we face? And how did you overcome that sort of statistic out there that seems like we're not necessarily supported as, as moms and as, you know, families? Well, in our Women in Architecture group, which I chaired from the year 2000 for five years, we, had, we did lots of surveys and we said, what are the problems? What are holding people back? And we gathered all that, that um, information and statistics together. And it was published in Building Design Magazine, Architects Journal, and at the RIBA. And then it could see, you know, where is the need for support? The need for support is, as you rightly say, when you want to come back, when your kids are gone off to creche or gone off to um, early years school, how do you get back in? Because very often we found from the statistics that women had lost their confidence and they didn't feel... You know, that's, you know, oh God, have they missed everything? Has everything moved? Well, in architecture, things move very slowly. So what we had devised was a series of returners courses. So it was with catch-up. So it was a, there were catch-up classes held, I think it was at the RBA and other, and other kind of CPD type courses. And um, for people to say, okay, well, in planning, this has happened. So that's the update or there's this or that. Um, and also, if you have a mentor, very good if you can have a mentor who's maybe five or ten years older than you or who has um, been through it um, and can say oh well the best advice is this but it's also informing in bigger offices for example it's it's having that kind of collegiate group and having it that if you want to retain your staff and you know just because you have a baby doesn't mean you're you're not capable of coming back and be the, a fantastic architect still 
Um, so it's it's really getting the message across. Value your staff. If they want to take a one full year break, do. If they want to take two years, do. Keep them in contact. And what the clever officers do is they will invite their, their staff, um, the new moms, back um, with their baby on a after three months or after six yeah. months for a social. So they're staying in contact, and that is very important. So you don't feel left out. And then what we did with our staff who were pregnant and left and, and then came back is is a slow return. So come back on a two-day week, then a three-day when uh-huh. we're ready, then four-day, and maybe do your fifth day at home. And that we've always had staff who valued us and we valued them. And it was what suits you. And I think that that's what we really we really need to do that for. And most most firms do these days, I, I believe. But for those that don't, value your staff and ask them what they want. What accommodation can you come to? Just just for those few very important years when you have small children. I think you said it before, learning, you know, how to speak up for yourself and be an advocate for yourself. And I think I find that hard sometimes, right, where maybe there are um, some boundaries, but sometimes the boundary is myself and and being able to be aware of that and be self-aware that I can ask for what I need. I can be honest about what makes me comfortable and, um, you know, just making sure that, like you said, that both the relationship should work for both groups, right? It should work for the mom yeah. and it should work for the firm. Um, but that's, thank you. That's a very good point. So I'd love to talk a little bit about your presidency and RIBA. What did it mean to be elected the president of RIBA? And what were you hoping to achieve during your tenure? Well, I was president from 2011 to 2013. Okay. So I covered the Olympics. And the Olympics has always, the Olympic and Paralympics, has always been very important in my family because my dad represented Ireland on the play pigeon team. So we always had everything, you know, and that was in 1968 in Mexico and Munich in 72. So we always were glued to the set, you know, glued to the TV whenever the Olympics was not was very big. Um, and they needed somebody who was good at PR and who had some television experience. Now, at that stage, I had two TV series under my belt where I was the presenter, the architect, whatever it was, and I was promoting best of uh, design. And, and some of it was British design and another one was Irish design. So um, now I wasn't going up for president. A few people said, oh, Angela, why don't you go? You know, because there was already one woman in at that time, uh, Ruth Reed. And I said, oh, sorry, no, I'm pretty busy. And, you know, I probably wouldn't get it. And then a, a past president asked me and I said, oh, well, we're not so sure. Um, and there were two other people running and I was thinking, hmm, I really would like just to go against them just uh, to see if I could get in because I think I could do a really good job in areas that they wouldn't really have much experience in, which would be diversity and inclusion, you know, promoting architecture um, internationally as well, and also being a good advocate for architecture um, in broadcasting. Um, so I put my hat in the ring when the guy asked me, again, said, oh, go on, just go on. So I did, not thinking that I would. Then I thought, God, now I mean, I have to really fight for it. So there was lots of hustings and stuff like that. And so I just put up those three things that, you know, it's it's diversity and inclusion, um, internationalizing and promoting the very best of British architects with the Olympics coming up. Um, so I won it um, and was in. And then um, you realize that you're actually in a huge big ship it's like a huge ship sailing out to ocean and you can only move it slightly three degrees to the right or the left because there are hundreds of people working in this institution which is all over Britain and there's the international students and it's part of a British institution, very British. 
very old-fashioned um, at the time. So um, the first thing I did was um, I painted one of the walls in my office bright pink. I don't think it ever had pink in its life. So I said, okay, I'm making my mark here. And everywhere that I go or groups that I go to, a photograph of the people goes on the wall. Not some artwork, it's people. Um, I made sure all of my committees were at least 50% women. And then I um, helped to stick up for students. Students were having a tough time. And um, this is just before the fees came in. Um, and um, it was really about um, students. A lot of the big firms were taking advantage of students. And they were what's called the intern, the unpaid intern. Yes, I remember that. It's not two weeks work experience, which, you know, you got pocket money for your bus fare and lunch. So one, one of the things that I actually did manage to achieve was to ban unpaid internships. Everybody had to get at least the minimum wage, the London waiting wage or wherever they were. That was one kind of thing that I, I did really push through. Then we got the Olympics. So I was there doing this and this. And then there was the um, Olympic Development Authority, uh, the ODA, Olympic Development Authority, um, had said, oh, no, you, no, you can't promote anybody. You can't, you can't just go come down here and take photographs of the buildings and promote them. I said, but I'm the president of the RBA. These are the very best of British architects. We want to make a video. We want to promote these people around the world. No, unless you're a sponsor, you're not allowed. I said, how many sponsors are there? was one architect sponsor and one engineer sponsor and that meant that nobody else was allowed to stand in front of their own building it was only going to be up there for six weeks and then they, most of them get taken down so i led a very big campaign i'm a campaigner i've been campaigning like all of my life and so we had drop the ban that was the ban on people advertising their own building on their own websites it was totally wrong and um, so um I was just new to Twitter in 2012, so managed to get a good group of people on in two hours notice outside the RIBA. And the night before, I got one of my friends to um, type up the names on a huge big four meter scroll that I dropped outside my presidential office window right down. And then we invited the press. So all the press were there, 10 o'clock news, BBC down the road, the whole lot. And we, we had um, these t-shirts. Uh, one of the guys from New London Architecture Centre he, um, he started the campaign, Peter Murray, and then there was John Nolan, the head of the Structural Engineers. He was absolutely back. So the three three heads of three big places were there leading this campaign. Um, and then um, the night before I made this dress, it was a white dress from Topshop, and I got photographs of all the buildings, like Saha did Aquatics was in the middle, and then I had all of the basketball and all of the buildings. And, you know, you know the iron-on stickers? Yes, of we course. We had iron-on stickers on the rest, and then we dropped the ban, and then we did this, and, and, the, and, and it was a really fantastic campaign. It did take a while for them to drop the ban, I have to say, but it was dropped. Um, I brought a, fil a film crew down um, to the site during the Paralympics, and I photographed and interviewed 52, every single person, the architect and the engineers wow. from all of the buildings, I interviewed them in front of their building, and that's the only footage that there is. And if I hadn't gone down, there'd be no footage. So anyway, we got the we got the, all of the footage, and then I made a little video, short video as a promotional thing for the best of British architects. 
and then uh, UKTI, UK Threat and Industry, said, oh, Angela, there's no footage, and could we use your little video? And we'll, yeah. we'll credit you. So UKTI, um, the very best of British design and architecture, used my little video. And that was fantastic that it was able to be used with all these fantastic architects and engineers and landscapers. Because, you know, I really do think that the, the, the design of the London 2012 was one of the best and most sustainable Olympics to date. And I, and I think I really wanted to credit them. So then I was giving a talk at the Women's Irish Network um, a year later. And um, um, the, the, the director of the Museum of London was there. And uh, um, she just said, um, um, Angela, I have one question to ask you after your presentation there. Can we have your dress for the Museum of London? So I said, wow. of course you can. So she said, the only thing is, next time you want to see your dress, you're going to have to wear wet gloves. Wow. <laughs> so they have it. So it's, it's, it's actually in the protest fashion se section. Uh, so that was a really nice moment that um, I can remember of, of you know, leading a, a, you know, a very controversial campaign, you know, where you have a lot of aggro from um, people that want to stop you. And then you know you're doing the right thing. You know, we all paid for these Olympics to be built. We wanted to get that on the map and to give credit because a lot of young architects were there, like Asaf Khan, who did the mm -hmm. beatbox Coca-Cola. There were loads of really talented architects, and we gave them we gave them the, the the platform they deserved. Absolutely. So, was the reason for this band because they wanted to monetize? You got it one. Okay. Money, money. That makes. I mean, doesn't make sense, but that makes sense. Um, I had no idea and. Thank God you actually have the footage. I need. I was writing down all the things I have to look up that you were talking about. I'm like, the dress, footage, Olympics, 2012. I mean, literally drop the band. I wrote it all. I have to look up yeah. all of this. That is an incredible, incredible story. Um, so throughout that experience, I know that you've sort of learned a lot about um, what obstacles you've had to overcome throughout these years and, and sort of just, I think overall, you're just such an advocate. You're an advocate for women. You're an advocate for minorities. You're an advocate, most importantly, for yourself, which is, like I said, inspiring. Um, what do you think that you would tell young women um, about coming into this profession? Well, it's actually something that you can do. Okay. Um, it's something that um, our women in architecture um, advocated big time. It's called Adopt the School. So you can go into your local school or where your kids might be or whatever it is, and you can do a workshop with the class on something like design a structure for your playground, or you do a walk and you draw some buildings in the street, or you design, you design a fold-up house, was another little one I used to do. And doing something like that, where you're actually going in to um, a classroom, and you're saying, my name's Angela and I'm an architect. So the first architect they've ever met is a woman. And an Irish woman at this one. <laughs> but the thing is that um, you, you then you tell them that design is for people to make people's lives better. And, you know, they don't understand words of sustainability or anything like that. But you can teach them. And the, one of the, one of the uh, I used to do this every year for about 20 years. And we've got a whole gang of people that go in and that are fantastic. So it's something that anybody can do. Pass on your knowledge. Encourage people to, you know, if you're keen on the environment, which, you know, most people are these days, and it, it helps to be artistic. But if you really care about people and you want to make their lives better, then being an architect is one fantastic way to do it. 
in the U.S., we have a program um, called ACE Mentorship which is very similar to what you're talking oh, about. Yeah. You go into the classroom. Um, my colleague, actually, Regan Holton, a designer I'm working with, he actually helped uh, start the ACE mentorship program here in Dallas. Oh, so um, we love going to speak to younger classes. He has young girls, and we go to talk to their class here in Dallas. But you're right. I know that I can do more, and I think that you're. it's important. Representation is important, right? And like you said, um, most people don't know what an architect is at a young age. So yeah, to hear yeah, what an architect yeah. is at a young age and also to see that it's a woman, you would immediately think that why would it ever not be a woman? Why could it not be yeah. me, right? I was very nice of a video actually called Designers of Our Future. And the idea of that was it shows how uh, one of the projects that we did over six weeks in a school where um, the 16-year-old schoolgirls, this is a secondary school, 16-year-old schoolgirls had to design a house with an art gallery um, on a real site in Hammersmith. And the real client we brought in was the well-known Thomas Hedewick. We brought in a full team so that people didn't have to just choose architecture. They could have interior design or, or graphic design. Videography was another. Um, and then we had a structure engineer, services engineer, you know, the whole team. So they learned lots of careers. They had to role model. And then there were six teams in competition with each other. And then the winner got their uh, model um, professionally made. And then it was presented at the RIBA, a big thing with our parents and the families and teachers. So it was something that was really exciting for them to do. And that is when I worked with this guy, Tony Ryan, who is the technology teacher. So it's working with the teachers because they know how to get the best out of the kids. And then we're coming in with kind of fresh design ideas, something that has a beginning, middle and end. All the kids can be involved. And then when it's on video, it means that they can share that or can say, okay, we're going to do this next year. And they have a record of it or other schools can see it and then, and then participate. But that kind of thing, it, it should be on the curriculum. I mean, architecture in the built environment needs to be on the curriculum. Absolutely. Primary and secondary. Because what these kids came up with, even in primary school, six to seven-year-olds, they were told to design, um, each had a fold-up house and had to place it in a field, you know, blank site, um, and they built them around a square, and the playground in the middle was only for kids, and there were no cars. It was, it was a very advanced, from grassroots, from kids up on to plan, how to plan, and I tell you, it was a lot better than many people that are professionals doing it today. And I think children surprise us. Like we think that a child might not be able to understand even at five or six years old what architecture can be. But I've played, yeah. I mean, I I have a niece and a nephew that are six and four. And I always teach them about hotels and hospitality. And we were designing something with Legos one time. And I mean, I think at the time Kaya was maybe five. And I was teaching yeah. her about what a podium is and a tower. And it wasn't even a few weeks later, my sister calls me and she's like, Kaya needs to show you her hotel. She needs to show you her hotel. So, I mean, those aren't conversations that they're having in the classroom. You're absolutely right. And we, why not? You know, I think we underestimate what children want to talk about and learn about. Absolutely. Yeah. So how did you promote diversity of architecture? Um, we talked about it a little bit, and I would love for you to share that story. Yeah, it's really interesting because very often when people say, oh, it's terrible, you know, we're, we're women architects, we're black architects, we're not, we're minority groups, we're, we're not this glass ceiling, we're not getting beyond. So with the new Architects for Change group, um, we said, okay, why don't we have our own exhibition and promote diversity and just promote how great we all are? And um, so rather than having a negative part of the campaign, 
He said, let's be totally positive, diverse city, the diversity of people in your city, and we'll start it in London. And I thought maybe it might go to one or two other places around the UK. So um, 50 panels came in, and it was three things on that panel were questions. What does diversity mean to you? So if you were an Indian person, African person, you might say, well, from where I come from, or I'm British and I'm seeing as this, or whatever it is. And what's important to me is the culture or, you know, what, what they, what, whatever their take on is, what they bring to architecture, their understanding of community. Um, and then you showcase um, three of your projects. It can be three of similar or small, medium and large. Um, and then you just a small description about those. Your website, which is the most important thing, because after all, we are promoting ourselves as 50 diverse people from London, okay? Diverse city, London. So that was the first, kicked off in 2003. And then um, we had a plan to go around uh, four or five um, cities in the UK, which we did. But then we get a call from Los Angeles. And it's the RIBA, um, Tim Clark, who heads up, um, who headed up the RIBA um, USA, said, you know, why don't you come down? I said, oh, God, well, you know, we've got no money. I said, you know, if you could get us there or get me there, I'll bring the portfolio. And then you, you, if we go, how about you give us 10 of your best? So went over there, had a fantastic exhibition, um, and went to a few other places in the United States. But when we were there, we got a call from a Chinese contact from Beijing and said, we've read about you on the website. Would you bring it to Beijing and to Zhengzhou? which is a few hours south. So then we got to China, and then we got calls from everywhere. And then we saw, well, this really has got something to say. When we go to a city, we will give a talk about diversity and inclusion. And it was way before diversity was even a word. So having traveled to all of these places, I brought her to about 20, 24 different places. And so my other some of the team brought to a few others. But you know, so I would ring up somebody I know in in Auckland or in Sydney and say, look, we've got a fantastic exhibition. Would your university like to take it? And the RBA had a small budget for us to take it to the various places. But in all, we called it the global snowball because it got bigger and bigger every city. And we went to 34 cities around the world, wow. which is over six years. So, I mean, that's quite a dedication of our team to actually keep that going. And in 2010, we pulled it into a close and in fact um, a few weeks ago at the women in architecture at one of the schools um, of architecture in London they invited us to put up the exhibition and give a talk of what it was like you know 20 years ago because we're celebrating 20 years since we did that exhibition. I mean the fact that you had the in the foresight and the people you were working with had the foresight to talk about diversity that early on like yeah. I was writing down 2003 right in yeah. the last I would say maybe 5 years I've been hearing those words often in in our environment yeah, yeah. but before that no you know I started in 2014 I don't think I heard that word very often diversity inclusion equity diversity inclusion equity and I mean 2003 you were really ahead of your time um Yeah well, yeah we, I think we were definitely Absolutely. Um, yeah. So from my sort of career and goals perspective, um, when you're working in these kind of environments to create change and advocacy and allyship, um, 
Do you ever feel like your work is complete? Do you sort of set these personal goals for yourself or sort of step back for a minute and say, wow, you know, I've accomplished this, 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 and this, you know, did you, have you had those moments for yourself? I know sometimes it's hard for me to take a step back or us in our profession to take a step back for a minute and say, there is so much work to be done, but wow, I've accomplished this. Well, well I think it's more like passing the baton on. Mm. You know, when, when we said in 2010, we'd, we'd halt the diverse, the diverse City tour, um, there was a new team for women in architecture, because otherwise you could stay too long in, in, in one committee. I think it's very important to keep fresh blood, and then you can kind of step back and attend meetings, as opposed to be the one that's organising them. Very good And that's point. quite good. And then you can encourage people and give give a few uh, wise words or whatever if they're wise or not. And um, well, you can you can you can from your own experience. And I think that's great when you can see that that things are keep going after you have stepped back, um, because there's so much out there to do. Um, but but always whenever I mean there's, there's less sex than these days, um, but whenever I hear any sexism or if anybody does, my advice would be. Stop it in its tracks there, there and then. Do not accept it. You know, there's a lot, there's a lot recurring of, of these things. And unless we're actually prepared to say, hold on a second, and in a nice, and if you can have some sense of humor, it even makes better, and say, what did you just say? You know, call people up and don't accept, don't be beaten down unfairly because there's always people out there trying to knock you. But at the same time, because you're a woman, you do have many other advantages and you have got great communication skills. You know, you can be as charming as any of the blokes. And I think that if we are good humoured about these things, we can go far and we can together, we can come up with new ideas, new ways of doing things so that we actually don't have to think about it anymore, that we're all properly equal and we are diverse and accepting and see what the, you know, really accepting that a diverse group has got to be a lot better than all the male, pale and stale groups around <laughs> that used to be in the old days. To have the diversity and community, I mean, apart from the fun part of it, it's just all of that cultural heritage that everybody comes with. And that is what's important. And that's what we do as architects to make places better for people because we have a better understanding. And I mean, that at the end of the day is what it's all about. Absolutely. What do you think on a day-to-day basis do you feel like is the most rewarding part of your job and your work i suppose it's when the client says you've done a really good job <laughs> you know and say oh i really like that or you know and you feel you feel you've done a good job that is the most that's not being a woman that's just you know for, for anybody i think but it's it's, to, it's 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 to feel appreciated i guess for what you do from the point of view of from when i was a chair of women in architecture and then i go to a do like quite recently and people in the audience come up to me afterwards and say oh gosh angela i remember um when, when you gave a talk in our university 10 years ago or in our school or whatever it is and i just wanted to say thank you it made a huge difference and that to me is worth more than a prize if you know what i mean that somebody actually says, thank you, you made a difference to my career or to my choice of career or, you know, for me sticking up for myself. And I think that to to have somebody say that you inspired them is, is the best compliment actually ever. I agree. And I, I mean, just from the 
little bit of time we'd had to chat the other day, I immediately went home and told all the stories you had told me. And, <laughs> and I was like, and she did this and you won't believe what she said to this. And talking about just, you know, being an advocate and, and passing on the baton, like you said, making sure yeah. that when you step away, someone else is going to be taking on the same sort of task and going to be inspired to make things better. Um, I, I had a wise uh, friend once tell me that we always want to leave something better than we found it. And I think that's why a lot of us become architects, because we believe yeah. that we can actually leave the world better than we found it. And so um, I think that you're you're extremely inspiring. And I'm thankful that we get to have this conversation because the first conversation we had, it's, it definitely resonated with me. And I know this one will, too. Um, so a little bit about what you do outside of architecture. I would love to hear about that. Um, <laughs> I call it my side hustle. Yes, your side uh, hustles. I'll just show you here. Um, well, just um, last week, um, I did London Fashion Week um, with wow. uh, an Irish designer called Paul, Paul Costello. And it was literally because I had asked him, I said, Paul, I said, you need to have a special range of fused glass and i've got one here um just this is just this one of my favorite ones i don't know if you can see that or not it's stunning yeah, that's fused glass so fused glass is um it's a dichroic glass it's, that means two-tone so so i make anything from bowls and that i think everybody needs to have somewhere something some activity creative outside of architecture what would you call it fall into that uh, 15 years ago, on an open day, when I went to see a pottery, they said, oh, the glass place is open next door. Oh, I'll have a look. So I went in, and then this setup of glass, and I could see all the things they were doing, from cold work stained glass to fused glass, which is the fusing of two pieces of glass together in whatever shape or pattern you want, whether it be a bowl or whatever. Um, and I just loved it, so I haven't looked back. So I think that um, whatever it might be, whether you do pottery, life drawing, um, crammy, Whatever it is, you meet a whole range of different people you wouldn't normally meet outside of architecture. And I think that alone, being another creative field, is really great fun. So um, knowing me not sitting still, I put together a group of 10 people, 10 different craftspeople called 10 Hands Crafts. And we exhibit every year in um, either London or London and Cork or Dublin. And we actually got a gig in China from my... Like, you see, you know, when you make contacts all over the world, they're your friends for life. So I ring up this guy in China and, and uh, I said, uh, what about China, China um, Craft Week? And he said, oh, let me talk to Benny. So then Benny rings and says, Angela, we want you to bring your Irish Irish uh, craft group to China and we are going to make you the uh, focus country this year. That's because I knew the guys. So we went over, designed a huge big stand, made, they made up this fantastic big stand for us. Our 10, our 10 hands crafts people were on show there. And it was just amazing. So um, to do something like that and meet with people and then to be able to promote and do videos and stuff like that. So we have our, um, our very active group and it's just nice to do the architecture and the craft and the art and the design. But in all of our buildings, I do something within the building. I mean, many architects have done that in the past, whether it be a bit of glass over a door or a huge big painting in a reception or whatever it is, provided the client likes it, of course. Um, so I think to have that merger between the two is, um, I mean, one is a continuation of the other in so many ways. 
I love seeing how much it makes you smile too. Like, you know, that that's, that's what you should be doing. Right. Like you said, not just work, not just work. You know, we love yeah. our work, but not just work other things that make us happy and inspire us. Well, thank you. I think we can wrap up pretty soon. Yeah, and- great. Well, thank you. Thank you for inviting me to talk to you guys. Thank and, you so uh, much. Yeah. And if you're in London, meet your, your friend who lives one uh, street away, we'll all have to go out for coffee or, or for dinner or something. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely.